Yes, it's that time again. 8.30? Mm. It happens at least twice a day, you know, No, Cole. no, no. <laughs> I mean, it's Beetle Place's time. Oh, that's... I, yeah. Well, it certainly is, now, now that you mention it. Well, it just did. So, so let's get the show on the road then, Mucker. Okay. Uh, or some clothes will be a start. Ooh, a nice, nice ooh, vest. Ooh. Oh, please. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. Is 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 Lederhosen all right? I suppose it'll have to do. It'll, it'll have, have to, to do. do sorry. I guess. It's it all does. there is. A bit uh, art, artistically declined here. Well, that's super duper. It's the Beetle Places podcast with Messrs. Mark and Col. Hello. Hello. Hello, back. Not. Not you. Oh. Them. Them. <laughs> them listeners. Oh, well, in that case, don't forget everyone. For the next million zillion podcasts, we're presenting Beatles with an A. And if you're hard of hearing, it's Beatles with a A. <laughs> That's still a good joke. Hey. <laughs> so stick around for the next 92 hours. Hey. It might get interesting. But remember. Yes. A, a splendid time. It's 8.30. No, 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 forget 8.30. I told you that. Yeah, forget 8.30, I already told you. Is guaranteed, guaranteed for all. all. Hey! <laughs> marvellous, marvellous. Is that, is that it? No, no, we've, Can got, go a, we've now? got a bit to do now. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Oh, sorry. Cue <coughs> <coughs> right. the theme tune. <coughs> Cough. <coughs> theme tune. Indeed, there's Mark. Welcome, everybody. It's a Beetle Places podcast with good old Mark and good old Carl. How do? How do? Here we are. Aye. We've turned up like we promised. Again. <laughs> well, Unfortunately. Sorry about that. More of a threat, really, wasn't it? We're here. So, we're here forever and ever. And we're doing our little featurette, which is called Beetles with an... A C this week. Uh, yeah. Beetles with an A. Letter C. Yes. Here we are doing the alphabetical Beatles because we love the Beatles. We love Liverpool. We love the Beatles and Liverpool. And we're going to talk about the letter C and all the things C related to the Beatles and Liverpool. Well, Welcome. a few of them, not all of them. because we'll be Oh, not everything. For... No, that, that would be, that's, there's, there's not enough tape for that kind of thing. I've only got two C90 tapes oh. in the room. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. You doing spent a stuff. fortune on them as well. So didn't you? Mark and me will witter on, uh, sort of interestingly, and we're going to talk about Beatle places, Beatle people, Beatle songs, Beatle events with the letter C in our head. Aye. And uh, we'll do the best job we can. And don't forget, it's free, so you can't complain. Thanks for listening. Good and, night. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's a jingle. <laughs> oh, why? Yeah, yeah. Here's a jingle. Go on, man. Giving unemployed, good-looking, tall, handsome, well-groomed voiceover artists a bit of part-time work. It's the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Col. Is that all right? Yes, it's fine. Thanks. L- thank you. Yeah. Next. Well, so far, so good. <laughs> right, that's it then. One minute in. Should I make a start? Go ahead, do uh, something. I think I'll, I'll mention a song beginning with the letter C. That's, that's a very nice uh, One idea. of my favourite ones is um, from the film Hard Day's Night, mm-hmm. uh, where they all break out of the uh, the office. The, they're all cons- confined in a hotel room, aren't they, or wherever they are, or, or studio or something. They all burst out. 
uh, in a completely different place where the studio was in the film. <laughs> and you notice. And they're running up and down this field, and it's Can't Buy Me Love. And uh, I, I, it's one of the good songs. Like the last three UK number one records, Can't Buy Me Love was written to order as soon as the previous single vacated the number one spot. I Want to Hold Your Hand, being displaced on the 18th of January, 1964. Wow. All those years ago. I know, but let's not let's not think about it. Uh, in the rush to prepare it for release, it was both written and recorded at EMI Studios in Paris on the 29th of January, during the Beatles' three-week stay in France. Paul's lyrics would appear to be a direct comment on the Beatles' first real taste of luxury. The Beatles, performing a series of shows in Paris, were staying at two adjoining suites in the five-star Georges Sonk Sonk, uh, yeah. Five hotel, to you and me. Five. Just off the Chapsalises. <laughs> just uh, off the A41. Uh, a hotel in one of the most, uh, Paris's most exclusive areas, dotted with upmarket clothes, shops and jewellery stores and all that stuff. Um, so, uh, I, I, I can hear a plane it's going a plane, past. Yeah, it's it, a plane. It's due any time now. It's, that's unfortunately because we're, we're living next door to a runway. Uh, <laughs> such, such surroundings would explain the song's opening line but it is hard not to believe that its carefree mood was not also influenced by the amazing news the Beatles received in Paris that I Want to Hold Your Hand had gone to number one in the USA. Hey! Musically, Can't Buy Me Love shows the honing of a song formula. As on She Loves You, the chorus is placed first. It is. To start the song off to a fast pace, while the use of three major chords for the verse and two minor chords for the chorus was a formula used soon after on a hard day's night, I feel fine, and I'm a loser. So it's guaranteed to work, really. Yeah, it, it, it worked for me. It works, I loved them. It works, and it works. So keep on doing it. If it works, do it again. So <laughs> that was uh, Can't Buy Me Love. But why are we doing this podcast? <laughs> first, uh, first released in the USA on the 16th of March, 1964, but I don't know when it was released in uh, Great Britain. Ooh, good point. It don't, um, it don't yeah. say here in yeah, the, on this I mean, bit of paper. There's a whole book I've, I've mentioned on a previous podcast, which is all about how I Want to Hold Your Hand became the hit that made them the, the Beatles in uh, the world. They were famous fr from there on in worldwide because the US took over and said, we want this song, we want to play this song, we want them over. Um, Can't Buy Me Love was the number one that sort of, sort of uh, triggered uh, the explosion of Beatlemania, I'd say. I'd say it was good. Uh, great, that. Uh, can't buy me, love. 1964. You're love quite it, right. love Quite it. a long time ago now you mention it. Don't count the rings. It was just a while ago. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it's letter C, folks, with Beatles with an A, alphabetically speaking. We're covering the letter C today. and uh, Or tonight, rather, because it's evening-ish. evening, evening -ish. Um, And here we are talking about letters C. C for Charlie. C for cats. Little feature about... Cats, beetle cats, who knew? Uh, in his early life, John, of course, had loads of pets because he lived with his aunt Mimi and his uncle uh, George out in Mendips in, in Walton. And uh, in Mendips, they had three cats. Any idea what the cats were called, Mark? Any? Because we've been there and we wandered around. I didn't see any cats hanging around. Uh, Jerry? No. no. <laughs> Mephistopheles? Oh, well, you're clearly an Andrew Lloyd Webber fan. Webber fan. Webber fan, the, the hyphenated version. Yeah. 
Um, no, well, I've cat, no idea. He had three cats. Well, his, his aunt Mimi had three cats. The, uh, there's a little story about the cats anyway. I'll three cool cats. There they were three. Well. They probably that's a really good thought when uh, you think about it. three cool cats. Well, they were called Titch and Tim and Sam. Now we had a cat called Sam. Did you? So, yeah, we did. Oh, yeah. Um, when when he lived in Weybridge, John had several cats again, including one he called Aunt Mimi. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, moving on, a couple of years hence, in the uh, in the early seventies, he moved into the Dakota building, and then he had three more cats, all Persians, and they were called Shasha. Uh, that's not me biting me tongue. Shasha, as in shish kebab. Shasha, Misha, and Sharrow. Don't know what they stand for. But there we are. No idea. No. Um, when John lived with May Pang around 74 time, he had two kittens at the time. I don't know what he did with the old ones. It's this horrible thought, but what did he do with the ones he didn't have anymore? Mm. Uh, these two kittens were called Major and Minor. <laughs> so um, cat-wise, that's what John had in his lifetime. The thing about the cat at Aunt Mimi's house was the house itself, me and Mark have been, it's only a t- really comparatively tiny wee little house really semi semi detached house um, and yes it had lodges in it so Aunt oh, yes, Mimi, lodges Aunt Mimi Uncle George and John were in the house with lodges usually two two people and usually from the University of Liverpool who were staying there usually there were vets um, but I've done a whole feature on the lodges I'll mention them another time when we do the letter L L as in lumbago and uh, we'll do lodges another day. But um, what happened was the cat's hairs got in the uh, lodges food a lot. Oh. <laughs> well, I won't dwell on that. I'll move along. There you go. Oh. Handing back to Mark. Thank you very much. Okay. Yes, well, <laughs> moving on from cat's hairs, how about a song called Come Together? Uh, Abbey Road. Which we've just been listening we to. Have, yes, we have, enough, ten to, minutes yeah. ago. Uh, Abbey Road. Uh, largely an album of melodic treats. One of my favourite Beatles albums. I think it's my favourite, actually. Bloody good, really good. Uh, The thrill of Come Together is in its rhythm and textures of sound. The sexy, teasing interaction between the drums and bass are contrasted by the lead guitar and organ, which glide dreamily above. Such fine work was the product of John and Paul's last ever true co-composition. John brought the song complete to the studio as a Chuck Berry-style strum on acoustic guitar to the metre of the lyrics and a few words of Berry's You Can't Catch Me. As Paul recalled, John asked him for an arrangement that would disguise the Chuck Berry origin of the song, though John was later sued anyway. <laughs> he was. Paul came up with a contra- contrapuntal bass line. Contrapuntal? Aye. Yes. Right, that's a real word. It's in Wales. Oh, wow. Oh, a bit, uh, oh I think yeah, I've yeah. been a nice cafe. <laughs> and no doubt had a hand in directing Ringo to play the song's peculiar drum pattern. John never mentioned this help, but did, however, speak favourably of Paul's playing on the Hammond organ. Uh, Was that him? Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, Come Together sets an unusual parallel with John's later solo recording of Cold Turkey in 69. Between the two songs, John had forced himself through the painful withdrawal of heroin addiction and the beautiful guitar notes that conclude Come Together with accompanying moans, contrast the ugly guitar and terrifying screeches that conclude Cold Turkey. As such, they make an unusual pairing. As firstly, the evocation of heroin high and secondly, a warning of the horrors of withdrawal from the drug. So, a um, <sighs> bit of a mixture there. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, 
Well, he, he was a, a, an honest writer all the time uh, with his songs. We were just enjoying how simple his lyrics used to be. And yeah. he'd still tell a story that was funny or ironic or even laconic. And he got his points across pretty well in a three-minute song, and yet there he is talking about drugs. Yeah, and it's, actually, it's Timothy Leary that suggested the the name of the song as well. Did he? Because he wanted John to write a... A campaign for his bid to become governor of California. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, the title Ronald Reagan got there first. <laughs> it come together was uh, Timmy, Timmy Leary's campaign slogan. So John sort of lost interest with it in the end and ended up with something completely different. Yeah, I, I know he had uh, he kind of uh, he, he was polar, polarized uh, opinion sometimes because he'd flip from you know wanting to have a revolution and not having a revolution. He was all that all that all the time, but I liked him for it. Um, yeah, come together. It's funny. This, we've just been listening to the uh, superb remix version, um, which Mark brought up and played tonight on me on me telly, uh, and it sounds it sounds really cool. It sounds really good. Everything you can hear. It's fantastic what production you can do now with computers and stuff. But it doesn't take away what was originally there, and I thought that was great. Um, uh, can I pick another song in the letter C department? Absolutely. Is that all right? Cause go it's got, I like the story behind this. Actually, there's not that many when you go through. Oh, you know what? I'll prove you wrong. Look at that list. That's oh, a list, mate. Well, there is, yeah. Yeah, and we could rattle on about them, but there's, there's, a, there's a few. There's a few. There's very few ones with the letter X in them. <laughs> um, but we'll get to that in 23 weeks' time. Right. So, I'm poised. <laughs> All right, the song I was interested in and read a little bit about was the continuing story of Bungalow Bill. I didn't think much much of the background. I didn't realise there was a background to the song. Yeah. I thought it was made up and it was a bit of a lark. And uh, and yet, it's a proper song with a backstory. One of the several songs John composed during his time in Rishikesh in India. Uh, and he used to say this was written about a guy in Maharishi's meditation camp who took a short break to go to shoot a, to shoot a few poor tigers. Oh. And he came back to commune with God. How ironic. Uh, this was a character they called Jungle Jim. And I combined him with Buffalo Bill. It's a sort of teenage social comment song and a bit of a joke, really. He was good at sort of... Um, at sort of uh, shoehorning jokes into his songs however however you heard them uh, the chap John referred to as a young American fella called Richard Cook he was the third one Richard Cook the third he came to Rishikesh to visit his mother who was studying at the ashram uh, both Cook and his mother went hunting and Cook shot a tiger he later felt remorse and met up with the Maharishi to discuss it where John and Paul were happened to be present uh, the number was recorded in October of 68 when they all came back Put on the White Album, of course, as we all know. And John leads, uh, leads vocal and plays the, the acoustic guitar and the organ. Now, what's famously understood is that Yoko's in there too. First time we heard oh. a, a female singer singing a bit. But who else is on there who's a female? Uh, Marianne Faithful. That's a bloody good guess. Yes, is it? but it's not right, but oh, it's a well. really good guess. Um, no, uh, we've got Yoko Ono singing Not When He Looks So Fierce. You remember the line. Right. Um, and yet, in the background, in the chorus, Hey, Bungalow Bill, uh, oh. is Maureen Starkey. Oh. I never oh. clocked her. Never <coughs> clocked her there. And uh, we also probably, sh I think somebody who got like 10 quid session music for helping out was Chris Thomas. The uh, production guy, engineer, who was on the Mellotron, which I love, I love that nice. bit. And he did it, Chris Thomas. Chris Thomas later to produce the Sex Pistols. Ah. Yeah, famously, their one album. 
And uh, who knew? Who knew? There's a letter C of interest to note. Uh, and you're listening to it on the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Carl. And, uh, what, was we're that here, interference we're, then? No, that was me just wobbling me dentures. All oh, right. And, um, and uh, we're here most of the week. If you want us, we do matinee shows. And this time we're doing features called Beatles with an A, which is our alphabetical tribute to what the Beatles did and do. And it's all about the Beatles and Liverpool, if we can help it. Uh, over to Mark. Aye, well, I'm going to pick another song now to tell you about. Okay, song week li- in the sun, I suppose. Little bit of information. Um, an album, well, it's Cry Baby Cry, actually. Which, I like, uh, yeah, I like yeah. They did it originally for uh, Beatles for Sale. There's an early run-through of the song. Uh, John, eventually damned as rubbish, is revealing <laughs> for some strong musical ideas on bass and drums that were oddly dropped from the final version. So it was a... It's quite an old song, "Cry Baby Cry." I didn't, I didn't so, reckon on it. It sounds kind of of its time, sixty-eight-ish. Yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, it's from Beatles. It's, uh, it's um, from the White Album, but it, it came from quite a few years ago. Before that, apparently, so. So um, that, that, that's that little bit really. Oh, that is short and sweet. Short and sweet. That's me. Oh, right. All over. Well, um, uh, you, you're <laughs> going to be surprised all the way through the show tonight because we've got lots of little features with letter C in them. Um, here's a feature, thanks, Mark. Um, feature from yours truly, which is about um, probably the, the weirdest record situation that the Beatles ever had. They had a, they had some problems with Capitol Records for a, in their early days because when they were about to be famous uh, in a, in America. They uh, only sort of uh, obtained interest from two very small record labels, VJ and Swan. And uh, strangely, I'll retell you the tale of Capitol Records. You've all heard of them. Um, the American label was founded in L.A. in the 40s. And it was uh, mostly owned by Johnny Mercer. He did a lot of uh, Frank Sinatra songs and stuff like that. Moon River? Moon River, maybe? No, no, got that wrong. That's Henry Mancini. Oh, no, Henry Mancini and Johnny Mercer. Oh. Uh, the company, Capital Records, is based uh, Capital Tower. You can picture it already, I'm sure you can, which looks like a stack of records, right? It looks like a stack ah, of records. Yeah. doesn't look like... Nowadays, it would probably look like a, an MP3. Uh, in the 50s, uh, EMI Records in Britain began to experience a number of problems, and the American Columbia label left EMI to uh, place its roster of artists, Doris Day, Johnny Ray, Frankie Lane, Guy Mitchell, all them. EMI lost their contract with RCA Victor, so producing EMI records overseas in America through RCA Victor just uh, flopped, uh, they dropped them. But in a, a bit of a, with a bit of great foresight really, Sir Joseph Lockwood, Sir Joe to the Beatles, in 1955, he bought Capital Records, cost him $8 million, $9 million. Uh, although they owned Capital, they didn't want to pressurise the label into just accepting whatever British records they had in Britain. And they gave Capital the right to, to really refuse the records that came over. And they did. Um, so when the Beatles were hitting the spot, and please, please me was making some interest, and they were offered to Capital. And they said, no, nah, not really. Uh, and it went on and on and on, and eventually it was sub-licensed, the music was sub-licensed to these smaller labels, VJ and Swan. And it took an awful lot of pressure to make the, the uh, owner of Capital in America, uh, a fellow called uh, Livingston, 
was it Andy Livingston? I can't remember now. Um, let me look up his name. Where is his name? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Alan. Alan Livingston. Oh, yeah. oh, oh sorry. I'll shout to you. I'll turn sorry. you on the ball. Uh. Sorry, Alan Livingston. He was just reluctant, plain reluctant. And he, uh, when he eventually conceded to, oh, okay, you know, give it a go. Um, then uh, the option was that I think George Martin was quite surprised by the fact that they weren't very keen on the Beatles for one thing. And Brian Epstein said, well, if you're going to have the uh, Beatles over there, I want you to invest in them and market them for $40,000. Um, it was going to be about $5,000 to begin with, which isn't much of an impact if you want to be a big thing in America. So I suppose the prior stars who tried to launch themselves in America, your Cliff Richards and people like that, uh, didn't have much of a chance really to get noticed because they weren't big enough and they weren't popular enough. But the Beatles had a bit, little bit of momentum going with I Want to Hold Your Hand and it went on. So it took an awful lot for this Alan Livingston to go, yep, yeah, OK, we'll market them, we'll bring them over. Um, they even turned down the Dave Clark Five later on. Um, which is surprising because I think Dave Clark Five had over 20 American hits all told. I can only think of three. But 24-odd American hits out there on Capital. Um, Capital also turned down the animals. <coughs> Hermans, Hermits, oh. Manfred Mann, <laughs> Jerry and the Pacemakers. Oh. It went on. Um, um, I think they had something to do with the Yardbirds ultimately. But uh, it was a bit of a, sh a, bit of a uh, right old mess. And in the end, when the Beatles came over, this Alan Livingston famously... He, he, he took over the proceedings. George Martin commented that this Alan Livingstone guy, the, the sort of, let's say, director of Capitol Records, he was very, uh, very much in the forefront when the Beatles turned up. He was at the press conferences like he'd brought them over. He was very keen to promote them because he said he'd done it <coughs> and he was all over them like a rash. Oh. So a little bit of hypocrisy there, mm. Alan Livingstone. But Capitol Records, interesting little story. Well, there we go. Thank there you. we go. How about a tune? Nice. It was, wasn't it? I think yes. banjos could have done a little bit more to it. I like the tuba. Do you think? No, that wasn't a tuba. That oh, was, I'm oh sure. sorry, that was you. Was that it? was me. Bloody uh, nose. See again. The Casbar Coffee Club, Eight Haymans Green, West Derby, Liverpool, Twelve. Been there. Situated in the cellar of a large Victorian house owned by Pete's mother, Pete Best. That's it, Mrs. Mona Best. The Casbar was opened on the 29th of August, 1959. <laughs> Mrs. Best had watched a London-based TV pop programme in 1959 and had decided that Liverpool needed a venue to match the coffee bar clubs in the capital, which were very popular at the time. Uh, Mona was aware that there was a mass market of teenage musicians in Liverpool who had nowhere to play and set about recruiting a resident band and the Quarrymen were enlisted. The four-man line-up on the opening night was John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison and Ken Brown. Aye, with glad you wore glasses. Ken with the glasses. Ken with the glasses, that's how you remember him. Very good. This lineup appeared on the club on a further six occasions without a drummer before a dispute over money saw Brown leave the band and team up with Pete Best in a group called the Blackjacks. It would be almost a year before John, Paul and George returned to the club and invited Pete to join them as their drummer. Their first engagement on return from their first trip to Hamburg was not Litherland Town Hall as often stated, but the Casbar Club on the 17th of December 1960. 
The band in their various guises played at the Casbah on at least 44 occasions and probably quite a few more. Closed on the 24th of June 1962, it reopened on, in June 2002, only a few years later, as a tourist attraction and still includes the bar ceiling signed by all four original Beatles and a painting of John Lennon by his first wife, Cynthia, <laughs> above the fireplace. Not Cynthia above the fireplace, but that's not her name, just Cynthia. And the painting is above the fireplace. So uh, that's the Casbah Coffee Club, where it all sort of came together, really, in a way. I'm glad it's still what it is, and it's been um, pretty much left intact as we know it, because I know Rogue, Best, the half-brother of Pete, is kind of keeping it managerially. Uh, he's overseeing it. Yeah. But you go there, and uh, it's how it used to be. I think it's maybe it's been like touched up a wee bit, but uh, more of a, a realistic uh, place than the, the cavern is in town. The cavern in town in Matthew Street that you may visit as a tourist, as a Beatle fan, uh, is a pub at the end of the road, really. It used to be a pub me and Mark used to go to a fair yeah. bit. Remember, Monday nights? Uh, and uh, we'd have a beer in there. And uh, it was a, a pub uh, because the original cavern was knocked down. But we'll talk about the cavern in a tick. Um, because that's another C, and it's a very big, important letter C. Um, can I pose you a little quizzy poos? Oh, super. I'm quiz ready. time. It's quiz time. <coughs> but I think it's jingle time first. Oh, right. Off you go, then. <coughs> Beetle Places with Mark and Col. Please address all complaints to Mrs. Betty Pimplebottom, 12 Seaview Cottages, Tibet. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Welcome back. And welcome to... Beetle Places. With Mark. And... Col. <coughs> oh, have a lie down, mate. Have a lie down. <coughs> Thank you, Doctor. We're having a lovely evening, aren't we? And glad everybody is uh, tuning and listening to us anyway, all around the world and, uh, and other places as <laughs> I well. I think so, yeah. I mean, somebody... Uh, somebody I'm talking about the quiz, book, the quiz we're going to do. So I get a lot of people <laughs> buying the quiz book from Canada. I don't know what the thing is about this quiz book in Canada. Ah. Maybe there's a connection. Um, okay, Canadians, pay attention. Right. Um, it's the Canadian version of the Beatles quiz. C for Canada. There we go. There Keeping go. a theme. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's an interesting one. We've been dabbling around the 64 phase, 64 period of the Beatles Aye. with She Loves You and uh, Can't, Can't Buy Me Love. Um, so I thought, okay, I'll hop around there and give a Beatle years quiz. It's 1965, everyone, on this piece of paper. So I'm going to ask Mark, ooh, five <laughs> questions. Go and on, uh, let's hope he gets them answered um, before the show is over. I am ready. Are you ready, kid? Are you ready? You, you stood there in a, uh, all poised, ready to poised. run a, a country mile. Yep. <clears throat> Question one. <laughs> it goes like this. Name the song George wrote on Help, understood to be about his wife, Patty Boyd. Oh, Right. You've got to think, haven't you? Um, Reader again. Name the song George wrote on Help, understood to be about his pa- his wife Patty Boyd, or his or his Patty wife Boyd. I was going to say. Um, ah. now the song I'm thinking of is a John song, but uh, 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 Fester on it, Fester. Uh, uh. and you look like you're festering. Thank you. Um, question two: The song yesterday 
was provisionally, temporarily, occasionally, first of all, known as what? Ah, I know that one. Okay, hold your tongue. Come back to it when the answers are needed later. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, Not uh, like that. I mean, just metaphorically. Oh, uh, like holy. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Question three. In the, movie, in, the mo- in the movie Help, again. Uh, help, again. Help. What building was the substitute for Buckingham Palace? Is it, uh, yeah, if, you, if you're a Beatles fan... You'll have this in seconds. If you're not, take a walk. I'll take a walk. Okay. I can't remember. Uh, I know, and I'm, you know, I, I wrote the question. But You've I got didn't. it written down there in front of it me. It does help, but I, I, you know, I wrote it on my arm so I could cheat. Uh, question four. Which three countries did the Beatles tour in Europe in 65? And you can have a stab at that because you could probably get two out of three, not, not really uh, trying. Right. And number five, just to conclude a little uh, quizzy poos, the TV show that was called The Music of Lennon and McCartney featured Peter Sellers. Ah, yes. And in that, he sang what Beatles song? Ah, could have been either of two. Mm. Well, yes. I'll let you have both. <coughs> but oh, you get right, extra then. points. And the, I'm afraid you can't go for the three B suite if you do. Ah, right. I could double my money. You could double your money, but there's no money. Ah, right. I'll take my pick then. That's a different quiz altogether. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Thank I'll you, spin Michael. the wheel. No, no, that's another quiz from ah, the sixties ah. we can't talk about because people don't know what we're talking about. Do it. This this one I answer with the with the with the question. That's Jeopardy. That's Jeopardy, that's Jeopardy and we're not American, oh, so right. you know uh, that's our problem, isn't it? Good, good effort. Lovely posture. Come back later. We're <laughs> right. back to our letter C, everyone. Okay. Here's Mark. Okay. Another club in Liverpool was called the Cabaret Club on 28 Duke Street, Liverpool 1. Brian Epstein had been anxious to introduce the Beatles to the Cabaret Circuit. Hmm, but this booking proved to be unmitigated disaster. (laughs) The club, which Brian frequented socially, catered for a quieter, more sophisticated clientele who preferred music by the likes of Tony Bennett. (laughs) So when the Beatles opened with money... It didn't go down too well. The one and only appearance at the club, for which they received a £15 fee, was on the 25th of July 1962, and needless to say, they were not rebooked. Situated a little further up Duke Street was the Zodiac Coffee Club. Oh, yeah. A venue much frequented by the Beatles and other local bands. On one famous occasion, the Beatles had a lengthy jam session with the Big Three, Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, Jerry and the Pacemakers. Silla Black used to work behind the she counter, did, yeah, and it say. was at the Zodiac that she met her first husband, her future husband, not her first husband, her future husband. One of them. Sorry. The Cabaret Club stood on the corner of Campbell Street and Duke Street. The building was demolished not so long ago and replaced by a modern office block. So, mm, all gone. All gone. Well, you know, I mean, we, we've off we, when we're in when we're in the vicinity of Liverpool city centre, um, and you wanted to be a Beatles tourist. Everything's in like three footsteps distance from everything else. You know, the caverns one place, and from there, fourteen yards in that direction is ten others, and ten other things are in the other direction. So it's a really nifty um, venue to enjoy Beatles stuff, the city centre, because there's still a few bits and pieces. I go past loads every day um, and just remember these things, Civil Service Club, the statues, um, loads of little buildings that just get a wee mention, but they have that potted history 
of there used to be a Beatle this or that or the other. Uh, it, it's great, you know, and it's my little, it's my little way of enjoying the day. Uh, actually, um, funny though, all the, the clubs that the Beatles played at, well, the Cabaret Club, there's a Cambridge Hall in Lord Street, Southport, which uh, became, uh, is now the Southport Arts Centre. It is, yeah. So big, there's big Cabaret place. Club with a C, Cambridge Hall with a C, <laughs> the Casbar Coffee Club. I think you found a theme here. The Casanova Club, one and two, because one in Dale Street and the second one opened in um, it, it London up Road. Further uptown, yeah. Uh, and then we've got the Cavern, of course. So they're all C's. Uh, hopefully, uh, they'll stay that way because uh, historically, I don't know, there was something about the cursive uh, part of the name that kind of made it mm. made it worthwhile. <clears throat> There's a lot of uh, C people here. Um, can I mention just a, a group that were uh, lab labelled uh, uh, with a letter C? They couldn't help it. That's the name they picked. And they were the Chants, oh. and the Chants were terrific uh, uh, black a cappella band. Ah, uh, yes. And they oh. later became, let's say, a couple of generations <laughs> in the real thing, mm. 80s, 70s, 80s band. I loved them. Friends and, of the Beatles. And they? big friends of the Beatles. But mm. they have a lot of things that are maybe trivial uh, bits of information well worthwhile. All I know is they've got a harmony group. And uh, part of the Black Sea, Black music scene up in uh, Liverpool Lakeway of Liverpool. Um, and they were good. You know, uh, the Ankara brothers were part of the chants. And uh, <coughs> one of my favourite little songs is the one that's been recorded on film. Uh, and it's on YouTube. And it's I Could Write a Book. I've mentioned this before for some reason. And I just like the tune. It's a good little sort of uh, doo-woppy tune. Um, and they sang the tunes of the time, really. But the fascinating thing about the chants was... Uh, the Beatles noticed them and uh, the Beatles played with them uh, at the Cavern and the letter C getting mentioned here and they often had their lead singers uh, joining in to, as, with them as backing musicians <coughs> it was fascinating uh, when mm. the Beatles paid the Northern Premier visit to Liverpool to uh, promote a Hard Day's Night movie uh, the Chants were the only people allowed into the town hall to meet them and ah. I think they sang some songs there. The Beatles didn't sing, they were mm. uh, guests. But the Chants themselves sang something that I remember because they were invited by the local Liverpool MP, a lady called Miss Bred Bessie Braddock. Aye. Um, and uh, the whole thing's all documented in, in the book I did about the visit on the day. It was a big lot of uh, bits and pieces. We've talked about it before. <coughs> we did a couple of special podcasts, didn't we, about the hard days now. And that, that's an interesting letter see the Chants... But if you get a chance to listen to them... <laughs> oh, I see what you did that there. That was good, though, wasn't it? It took me three weeks. You should be on the stage. I should, yes, the landing stage. Mm. Uh, so uh, give, them, give them a look-see. Uh, give them a look over, see if you can hear them. So um, we're covering the letter C, everybody. It's Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Cole himself in real life. Aye, I can is. touch him and feel him. There he oh, is. Dare you. Sorry. I mean, I mean that way. Um, uh, and here's Mark again. Right. Another club called the Cavern Club. Never heard of it. In 10 Matthew Street, Liverpool 2. It opened on the 16th of January 1957 as a jazz club by the Earl of Warncliffe. It was. I wonder where that was. Where's it? Where's Warncliffe? Warncliffe. Uh, and was named after La Cavo Francais Jazz Club. In Paris. Mm, gay Paris. Matthew Street was then a hive of activity with lorry loads of fruit and vegetables being unloaded throughout the day because there was a fruit market <laughs> just around the corner. Uh, and even if you go there now, you can still sort of smell 
rotten fruit and stuff well, yeah, up and down I, the yeah, road. Yeah, Matthew Street yeah. itself is like wholly very yeah. commercial pubs and whatnot. If you go round the other side, it's kind of more as it was. They haven't yeah. developed so much. No, fruit and, importers, fish merchants, etc., dominated the street. Whoo! And a cavern situated next door to a washing machine manufacturer. <laughs> Books have been written ad nauseum about the club and space does not permit me. To, uh, to carry on all well, night. Well, we're all grateful there. Uh, yes, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Sitner, who had been running jazz sessions at the Temple Restaurant, needed larger premises to accommodate the growing number of jazz bands, and the basement of 10 Matthews Street was empty. It had three alleys, and one was used for cloakrooms and admission staff, one for a small stage, and where people could listen to the music, and a third for dancing. Such was his popularity that by 1959... Membership, membership had reached 25,000 at a venue that could only hold 1,000 at a considerable God squeeze. Blimey. Jazz held sway throughout the late 50s and the first official all-night, all-beat night was held on the 25th of May 1960 with Rory Storm and the Hurricanes and Kaz and the Casanovas sharing the bill. The Beatles played here on at least 292 occasions. Their first... <coughs> pardon me... The first recorded appearance being the 9th of February 1961. You were as the Beatles. Before, they, they had turned up as the Quarrymen yeah. um, a time or two ago before then, as but the they were, Beatles, they were yeah. told not to play rock so and roll. They, they played um, uh, the February the 9th, 1961, when I was seven years old. Mm. That was my birthday, seven. And then uh, they appeared in America on February the 9th as well, 1964, when I was ten. So there's something special about me. <laughs> the doctor you. keeps telling me that. Yeah, yeah. Their final one on the 3rd of August 1963. The Quarrymen had played at the club on the 7th of August 1957 without Paul, who was at scout camp. He was. That was that was the time uh, he didn't break a leg. His brother Mike did. Dip, dip, dip. Dop, dop, dop. Um, <laughs> and on 24th of January 1958. From all accounts, they were not particularly well received. It's still being a bastion of jazz. It sort of had things thrown at them, bottles and all well, sorts it, of stuff. Well, there was such a phenomena about trad jazz. Mm. Uh, it, it was on the telly. It was about as about as rock and roll as TV wants to be. Didn't like all this sort of suggestiveness of rock and roll um, being, like, sexy even. Trad jazz was uh, safe enough, safe yeah. enough ground. And do you know when it closed, the cavern? Well, you mean demolished, closed? Or well, closed... Uh, Closed. Um, well, uh, the la the later owner was the accountant of Alan Sitner, and he was um, uh, well, golly, why, why don't I remember his name? Um, I, I, I don't say, I don't say. Yeah, yeah I, I, why have I forgotten his name? I don't know. Anyway, uh, Ray, 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 uh, Ray of Sunshine. Have a I think. can't remember. I'll, I'll, while you're looking at that, uh, the cavern closed on the twenty seventh of March, nineteen seventy three, and following an emotional farewell concert, which commenced at eight pm and finished at three am. And the bulldozers moved shortly and after its closure, so it didn't stay standing for very long. Uh, the new cavern opened in 1984, constructed on the same side of the road and within yards of the old club, but a bit further up. It was, that's where we went right. for a pint or two. Old, uh, over 15,000 bricks from the old cellar were used in its, in its reconstruction uh, because uh, they built uh, an air 
thing for the tunnel, didn't they? Yeah, if you want a little sort of shortened version of the story was, the piece of land that is, the, is and was where the cavern is, and I look at it a lot, because I go past it a lot, it's an air duct yeah. sticking out the it ground. It's like a big transformer Just thing a big there, old, it? yeah, yeah, it's weird, like a power station, mini power station. That's where the cavern was, everyone. What you see when you traipse up uh, Matthew Street is where the cavern's been rebuilt, recited. Paul McCartney mentioned it in his uh, 99 uh, visit to the cavern. He said it wasn't here, it was down the road a bit, uh, because it was opposite the pub, more so, the grapes. Uh, Ray McFall was the later owner, Uh. and the poor fella just didn't understand how to run a business. He was a good businessman, and he picked the band, and he got them playing. But the problem with the cavern was he ran it uh, with his own finances. So when the uh, the payments were due up and the bills were due, he went personally bankrupt. And unfortunately, he let everything go. Mm. And there was, of course, a bit of a riot because of the history of the place. And the Beatles had had such a, such a hallmark of, uh, in terms of where they'd been. This is the place they played the most. It was so important. And yet the problem was the British Railway Company who wanted to, uh, the underground train station they had, they wanted to run the train under that under that version of the down underground, Aye. not on top. Um, they had the underground station. The underground line was going down Matthew Street, more or less, if you look at it. And they changed it all. And uh, then they changed it all. They said, Aye. oh, well, for 500 quid, we'll move it further on. So the whole point of the cavern was wasted. It was mm. ruined. It was lost. It was a very bad business decision. What one strange bit of advice was, there was a mate from school, and uh, his name was Isaacson, and he knew George, and he went to Dovedale Primary, and uh, so on and so forth. He was a fairly big guy, he went to London School of Economics, and he knew Mick Jagger. And yet, uh, Mr Isaacson's dad was an entrepreneur guy, business guy, and he should have and could have, with all the reasons in the world that are mm. obvious, he could have bought the cavern and made a mint. He but could have done. He didn't. Didn't know what so, was going to happen, did he? No, well, you and I would say that's a good place to, you know, let's keep that as it is, conserve, you know, conserve it in aspic and always make it a tourist spot because people will always revere the, the cavern. But yeah. there you go, sadly it's gone. Uh, can you remember the name of the uh, the Master of Ceremonies at the cavern? The, oh, uh, well, uh, do you mean Bob Wooler? That was him, yeah. yeah do you know yeah. what his first name was? Oh, it, that wasn't his real name, was no. it, Bob? It was... David? No, Frederick James. Oh, excuse me. Excuse Frederick me. James, Bob Wooler. Yeah, Bob, we called reason. him Bob. Yeah, a lot of people... I mean, Paul McCartney isn't Paul McCartney. He's, no, it's James. He's James Paul, Paul McCartney. Ah. And his family tree will prove that. Uh, you know what Bob Wooler's sort of greeting was when he... When he oh, oh let, I won't do the voice, but hello, cave dwellers. Uh, greetings, all you Gre- cave dwellers. You could do that like Alan Freeman. <laughs> yeah. Greetings, all you cave dwellers. Welcome to the best of cellars. Oh, it's like he's in and the room. Ching, and then into uh, whatever. Yeah, off we go. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he did He did the intro on the Granada TV clip that you see when the Beatles are in playing in the cavern. And he goes, this is it. Here they are. It's the Beatles. And uh, they, then they play. And there's nine minutes of very valuable footage of them playing in the, in the cavern that one time. Uh, there you go, the cavern covered by Mark. Isn't he great? I am. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a jingle. It's the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Carl, playing eight days a week.
And you know what, folks? It's all true. We are Beatle Places with a with a, a podcast. Aye, with my name's Mark. My name's Col. And uh, welcome uh, to anybody yeah, who's hello. never listened to us before. Hello, hello, hello. I think, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, and uh, when's it going to end? Yeah. Is the other question, usually. <laughs> I usually think that as well. <laughs> How much longer? How much longer? So, um, we're covering the letter C, everyone, because we're doing a feature called Beatles with an A, an alphabetical appreciation of the Beatles in Liverpool, because that's where we're from and that's what we like. Mark's here and Cole's here and if, if Mark will permit me I'll do a letter C which will be about one of the people that the Beatles knew and loved or associated with or went out with or lived with or one of them and uh, the, it's famously known to be uh, it, it was I had the wrong page I, I was going to pick two comedians but um, they're both letter C as it goes and the first one is Ivor Cutler Ivor Cutler. Me and Mark uh, know this guy pretty well. He's a well-known uh, oddball, love, lovable oddball, and he was a poet, a Scottish fella. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my very, very, very favourite tunes is one of his, an Ivor Cutler song. Um, he was around until 2006, sadly <coughs> gone. Uh, the Beatles had a fondness for all these sort of particular eccentric humorists because they were always on telly and uh, this is what the Beatles influenced them greatly because they always repeating jokes and and bits of comedy that were seen on telly by these people at the cavern and various clubs because they used to do a bit of shtick when they sang songs they used to tell jokes and be silly and uh, it came from people like Spike Milligan and Max Wall Vivian Stanchel from the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band and uh, Stanley Unwin, who was good with words and worms, and this fella called Ivor Cutler. Ivor Cutler was, I think he was an ex-teacher, I can't kind of remember, but um, he, he, um, he just had a, a little bit of a, a weird way about him when he was telling songs and reciting poetry. And you will recognise him because he appeared in the Magical Mystery Tour movie, Aye. 1967 feature. Um, he was basically raised in Glasgow and he was uh, an eccentric type of teacher guy. He encouraged kids to parody songs and he performed a bit. And then he started getting um, a chance to record records. That was kind of the thing in uh, the early 60s, comedians making records. That was how I kind of got interested in music and stuff musical comedy records and Mark might remember Bernard Cribbins and Charlie Drake oh, uh, the Baron Knights all these mm-hmm. sort of people they, they always tickled my fancy because I was a little kid and I had no money and these records were always lying around in second hand shops and my dad would bring them home and um, that would be it I'd get interested in all, funnily enough all George Martin productions as it goes and uh, yeah so this uh, Ivor Cutler recorded a couple of LPs long playing records to you and me in the modern day and uh, he was famous then, the Beatles noticed him, and the Beatles certainly appreciated him. Paul particularly liked him because he was on the radio, and he wanted to know more about the musical instruments he played, and the, the instrument we're talking about is a, what's called a harmonium. Harmonium. And you would hear it, you would hear it on things like, um, oh, oh God, I'm just thinking of a song to speak of now, probably, uh, th- yeah, uh, Things we said today, maybe I'm not sure. Mm, uh, but not too there you sure go. Myself. Yeah, no. um, but uh, the song Paul talks about when he mentions Ivor Cutler is uh, "I'm going in a field." You've got to hear it yourself because it's a lovely little tune um, with a little change of chords in the middle, which is kind of interesting. And when you hear the song, you realise you can see why Paul kind of likes that genre of music and comedy. It's uh, it's just, it's a love song. It's a nice little song, but uh, tune into it. 
Ivor Cutler, I'm going in a field and there's another letter C and a beetle person covered at the same time. Valley for money or what? Absolutely. It's the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Col. We haven't planned the show, so nothing can go wrong. going to read a little bit now from uh, the John Lennon book called In His Own Right. Uh, quite an early uh, copy I think I got from, uh, let me have a look at the front, 1960, uh, That's the sea bit. (laughs) To Clive Barrow, it was just an ordinary day. Nothing unusual or strange about it. Everything quite naval. Nothing outstanding. Just another day. But to Roger, it was something special. A day amongst days. A red lettuce day. Because Roger was getting married. And as he dressed that morning, he thought about the gay bachelor soups he'd had with all his pals. And Clive said nothing. To Roger, everything was different. Wasn't this the day his mother had told him about in his best suit and all that? Grimming and shaking hands, people tying boots and rice butter on his car. <laughs> to have and to harm, death duty, duty part. He knew it all off by hurts. Clive Barrow seemed oblivious. Roger could visualise Anne in her flowing weddy drag, being wheeled up the aisle, smiling a blessing. He had Butterfield in his stomachs as he fastened his bow tie and brushed his hairs. I hope I'm doing the right thing, he thought, looking in the mirror. Am I good enough for her? Roger need not have worried because he, sh- he was... Because he was. Should I have flowers all around the spokes, said Anne, <laughs> polishing her footrest, or should I keep it civil? He continued looking down on her grain-haired mother. (laughs) Then luckily, Anne's father came home from sea and cancelled the husband. (laughs) It's it's all over the place. I play on words, all sorts of things. (coughs) Gibberish. Like we said, uh, the appreciation of humorists as well, isn't it? Because Stanley Unwin's certainly in the mix there. A bit of Ivor, a bit of Ivor Cutler. And uh, God knows what else, loads of John Lennon. And another one maybe next time, will you promise me that? Uh, No. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's my. I should pay him, really. That's I notice the there's no biscuits tonight. Yeah, Carl. shush, shush, shush. So, um, um, let us see. Get a minute. <laughs> let us see, folks. Let us see. For can't be bothered getting him biscuits. Yep. Um, and uh, here we are with let us see. Now we do Beatles songs. We do Beatles people. Let's do a Beatles place with the letter C in mind. Have you come across this phrase before? Because we were playing it about half an hour ago on my stereo phonic machine. Uh, we were we were we were singing a song. Um, called Glass Onion and uh, there's a mention in the song Glass Onion of a place a beetle place and it's this the cast iron shore cast iron literally cast iron in this song the Glass Onion John mentions standing on the cast iron shore Uh, it's an area which is local to him in Liverpool on the Dingle near where uh, Ringo lived on the Dingle shore I can't think there's a shore to speak of it's more of a it's more of an embankment now really yeah more more of a uh, muddy wall really it's a muddy wall and a bit of concrete now really yeah and uh, to Liverpoolians uh, Scousers it's known as the Kazgi 
with a C C A double S I E, the cast iron shore. One of the settings, in fact, it gets a mention because uh, in the 50s there was a, uh, it's very good for reference material. There was a, in the 50s there was a movie called uh, Those Dangerous Years and it was filmed around that particular area because it was a rough area and it was a song, it was a film at the time about ruffians and thugs and gangs. So maybe Ringo knew about the movie being made down literally yards from where he used to live. Uh, the movie's called Those Dangerous Years. Frankie Vaughan, very popular Liverpool singer, he played a rough guy, sort of a rebel. And uh, it, it, all the location shots are really good for reference material. You could see what Liverpool looked like just at the time the Beatles were there. Uh, of course, it all got changed because things do change. And when Liverpool had what's called its Liverpool Garden Festival, that was in the mid-80s, 83, 4, 5, it developed all that area. It developed as a euphemism for knocking down what was nice and putting up what's ugly. Ah. And uh, there we are. It all got changed. And it was just concreted up, basically. And now it's what we think it is. It's like a muddy, muddy wall. So there you go, the Cassie, the Cast Iron Shore. Um, you could walk there from the Pier Ed if you end up in Liverpool anytime soon. And you could literally walk there. But it's a, it's a fair old distance, I would say. Past Otters Pool, isn't it, and beyond. Uh, the Cast Iron Shore. A Beatle place with the letter C. Fabulosa, fabulosa. So it's Beatle Places podcast with Mark and Cole. And uh, here's the time and here's the place where we go off the letter C for a couple of minutes. And we do something that Mark's done all the time. A little feature called This at this day in Beatle history. Well, sort of, nearly enough. Yeah. It's, uh, what date is it today? Is it's, the, a, it's the 93rd of, of February. Well, actually, I'm going to do the 25th of February. Um, 1963. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Monday, the 25th of February, 1963. Um, they were working... Um, once again, the Beatles were not present on the 25th of February. George Martin and his team produced mono and stereo masters of the Please Please Me album. Hmm. Even though the LP was recorded on a two-track tape... Blimey. Like all of the Beatles' recordings up to, but not including I Wanna Hold Your Hand... People still wonder why the stereo version of the LP has such peculiar left and right channel separation. We, we've noticed this, haven't we? With the rhythm backing on the left and the vocals on the right, so you can cut it all down and get rid of the voice, or just keep <laughs> the voice, by turning the little knob on the front of your stereo. George Martin said, The reason I used the stereo machine in twin-track form was simply to make the mono better, to delay the vital decision of submerging the voices into the background I certainly didn't separate them for people to hear them separate. That said, many students of the group prefer the stereo version because it enables close to closer scrutiny of the individual elements of the recording. That's for those who simply want a better sound, however, the mono version is infinitely superior. So it depends on uh, your... Your view, really? Do you want yeah. to hear the little bits, or do well, you want a better sound? Well, nowadays but, uh, we get, we're getting so many uh, Beatle reissues which have this enhanced and that improved and that AI'd. Um, we're conscious of more things in Beatle records, little tinny sounds and little things in the background that have come to the fore, maybe. Uh, I like it, and um, I appreciate it, and... God knows, they'll never run out of things to fiddle around with on Beatle Records. It just seems to be the way. No, no. I always find something to dig out and redo again. 
Oh, good. Yeah. Any so, other days to mention? Uh, not at the moment. Oh, that's I, I'll, right. I'll skim through my uh, immense repertoire <laughs> and see if I can find another year. Uh, that much? Sort of around about... Um, like a comparative month. Month. And a year. Different year. How's that, kid? I'll dig around and see if I can find in 1968. He's, he's reliable. He's cheap and he's reliable. That's Mark for you. Cole sure. here. And Cole's got uh, going to cover the Beatles song with the letter C. You may have heard of it. It's called Come and Get It. Now, you won't find it on a Beatles record, but it's appeared through the anthology series. So we don't classify that strictly as a song per an album. It's kind of a song that was uh, recorded. It's an interesting one because I really think it's great. Uh, it's a number which Paul wrote uh, for the Ringo Starr film, The Magic Christian. Um, and before the Beatles even gathered for a recording session, it was around July of 69 time, Paul popped into Abbey Road, Studio 2, and he cut a demo disc, no less, no more, uh, of this particular song. And it's just him on the song, and he knocked it off in uh, no time at all. It was decided that uh, another Apple band, because they started hiring bands into their Apple label, uh, called Badfinger, would sing the song uh, over the titles of the movie, and they duly did, to be honest. Uh, but Paul did produce the little record and recording of it, which he did in April of 69. And uh, the single was issued by Badfinger in December of 69, and it didn't do too bad. It peaked at number four in the UK charts, and it didn't do too bad in America. Uh, Paul's original demo, uh, with himself on the drums and the vocals and the bass and the piano, it was recorded in just about an hour, and uh, like I said, it appears on the Beatles anthology. Uh, that it's a lovely tune, you know, good good beat, and it's got uh, a, a build up of the song, and it builds nicely. Uh, and it should have really been uh, properly produced and properly put on a Beatles album. It never did. The song that never was, come and get it. Well, there you go. I'm gonna whiz back in time. <laughs> Ah. Sunday the 11th of February 1968 Wow, that's just uh, amazing isn't it um, So I'm going Sunday the 11th of February uh, The Beatles were in, undoubtedly in a productive mood at this point in time They completed their planned three songs so quickly in just four sessions that a 2.30 midnight session pre-booked for the Studio 2 on Saturday the 10th of February was cancelled. Oh. On this day, the 11th of February, the plan ostensibly was for the group to be filmed working in the studio, the clip to be given to television stations worldwide to promote Lady Madonna. But in, once inside the studio, the Beatles decided to record, the result being Hey Bulldog. Started, finished and mixed for mono in 10 hours and recorded on straight four track without any reduction mixes. Sure. There was no question of Hey Bulldog rivalling Lady Madonna for the next A-side. John had composed it specifically for the Yellow Submarine film and soundtrack album. Note, though, although it does appear on the latter, on the soundtrack album, only on some prints of the film does hey Bull, is the Hey Bulldog uh, sequence. Ah, it is, yeah. The Americans um, didn't kind of take it. It was edited out of a lot of copies. <coughs> Excuse me. Bless you. <coughs> While the camera's word for the Lady Madonna film... John led the Beatles through ten takes of Hey Bulldog, following the general instruction he gave to George Martin in the control room at the start of the session and captured on the original tape. Just tell us when we get a good one. All, all ten takes featured a basic rhythm track of piano, drums, tambourine, lead guitar and bass guitar. On take ten, 
was then overdubbed a fuzz bass, deliberately offbeat drums, a rasping middle-eight guitar solo, double-track Lennon vocals, and a single-track backing vocal by Paul. The song, as released on disc, has a curious ending. It was standard practice for the Beatles to ad-lib and mess around after they'd reached the point where the song would be faded out on the record. Yeah, we were talking about this, weren't we? Aye. In Hey Bulldog, they duly began barking, shouting and screaming. <coughs> but during this day's mono-mixing, it done... But, but during this day's mono-mixing, remixing was done... Aren't terrible? Incidentally, at 51 cycles per second, they decided to keep some extraneous material in. This, that was a really fun song, recalls Jeff Emmerich. We were all into sound texture in those days, and during the mixing, we put ADT on one of... Oh, what yeah. did he say? Woof, woof. Yes. Yeah. What's ADT? Uh, 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 double, double tracking. Ah, automatic double automatic tracking. Automatic double tracking, ah, yeah. We put uh, automatic double tracking on... What did he say? Woof, woof. Bits near the end of the song. It came out really well. It's, it's a, it's a what did you say? <laughs> no anymore. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh. But I like that song too. And also, it's just the way Beatles stuff sort of happens and uh, and Beatles music is kind of put together like on the spot in five minutes ago. It was made up. First time I heard that song was uh, on the... The Beatles' Greatest Hits album, which has got a sort of a, really? a 1960s style cover on the front of it with a bloke in f- flowery trousers. Oh, yeah, and stuff Oldies like but that. Goldies. Oldies but Goldies. Um, the first time I heard that track was on that album. I bought that in Landudno years and years ago. Well, you've got to do something in Landudno, yeah, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, welcome, everyone. Beatle Places with Mark and Carl doing our utmost to make it be the Beatles as entertaining as possible, as if they haven't done it already themselves. Most of our utt. So, um, just rattling through, I mean, we've covered songs and places and a few things. I may as well uh, tell you what songs there are. Let us see songs from the Beatles. Ah. Um, y- you'll find there's a few you've forgotten about, but yeah, tell me if you know them. Uh, Mark covered it today, Can't Buy Me Love. There was Carnival of Light, remember? Not so much a song on record, because oh, it's just was, uh, 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 a, an enigmatic uh, recording that's never been released. George Harrison wouldn't permit it. Paul was keen on it, but it's um, it's got a story all of its own on its own. Um, Carry that weight, good Aye. song, yeah. Cayenne, which is an early Cavern recording song that the Beatles had. You'll find that on on the anthology. Um, on the first album was Chains, mm-hmm. Alexander song. Aye. Uh, Child of Nature, which became uh, Mother Nature's son. Uh, Child of Nature, John song. Uh, he sang it in solo years. Uh, imagine. Yeah, no. you get oh, uh, 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 give up. Posthumously, it was sung as remember. Jealous Guy. Ah. It was the chords, really. It wasn't the words ah. so much. Um, Christmas Time is Here Again. Ah. That's not an announcement, folks. That's a song title. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Frightened me life out then, of me, then. Then, then the song I just uh, t- talked about now. Go, you, well, you weren't going to go out to the shops, were you? It's a bit late uh, for that. I've got to start writing me cards. And so, Come and get it. Uh, come together, which we, uh, bad finger. we, was, we were it? listening to. Come together uh, when Mark arrived tonight. We had a good old listen to that. Um, cry, baby, cry, Aye. which Mark has covered already tonight. And an oldie, a very oldie, a, a version written by uh, Harrison and McCartney, Cry for a Shadow. Oh, aye. They're the songs, they're the ones. And continuing story of Bungalow Bill. Correct. Hey, who did he kill? Aye. 
Beatle Places with Mark and Cole. Letter C. Beatles with an A is the feature this week. We're doing well this <clears> this week. I reckon so. Let's see how well you're doing in the quiz. Right, how this about is answering, my downfall now. answering the questions? How about saying <clears> it properly? Quick spotlight on Mark. Right. We're talking about bum, the bum. Beatles years. Bum, bum. 1965. Bum, bum. Feel the heartbeat. Yeah. Just get all sweaty around the gluteus maximus. Oh, yes. I've been there on holiday. <laughs> Those Greek islands are great, They're aren't lovely, they? Yes. <clears throat> right, question one. Give me an answer to question one. Name um, the song George like wrote to. on Help. Understood to be about his wife, Patty Boyd. And there, was always, there was a few, wasn't there? But this was the first one. I'm, I'm stuck. No, it wasn't called that. Uh, it was called I Need You. Ah. So I never knew that till ah, I kind of I figured it out. Yeah, yeah. Okay, question two. You'll, th you'll thrive on this. The song yesterday yes. was provisionally known as what? Scrambled Eggs. Oh, baby, how I love your legs. <clears throat> You're quite right. Ah. Um, well done. One point to the man in the corner with the gabardine mac. Thank you. In the movie Help, mm -hmm. what building was the substitute for Buckingham Palace? I'll leave a pause here whilst clever people who are Beatle freaks can go answer that the books. one. Yes, I'll uh, just go through my... Uh... Yeah, he's Mark's not... <laughs> what, what's that? You're on Google what, Mark? Google, uh, oh yes. No, no. No, you didn't find it still? No. It was a place called Cliveden House. Oh, Cliveden House. Right. I'm sure people could still go to these places. Probably. Um, so take a random guess here. Which three countries, question four, which three countries did the Beatles tour in Europe in 1965? So we did a plenty of tours. <coughs> and he did Australia, New Zealand, 64. France, Germany, and I would say a Scandinavian country, Sweden. Ah, uh, one out of three. Norway. One out of three still. Liechtenstein. Still one out of three. <laughs> Switzerland. Oh, aren't you lucky? Still one out of three. Um, it was France, right enough. Spain. Oh. And Italy. Oh, well, blow me Less, down. Lesser known tour yeah. uh, places. Although there is kind of an album out there with the Beatles in Italy. Uh. I think it's it's uh, just recordings. Uh, mm. It's not a live album. No. But there we are. Oh, there well. we are. I failed um, on that one, then. So, Good of you to try anyway. It was, wasn't Finally, it? Finally, the TV show that was on Granada, I think yes. I remember it was, John Hamm produced it. Uh, and it led to some other things, which is that they led to making their own videos on the back of this, but another story, another day. The TV show called The Music of Lennon and McCartney featured Peter Sellers singing which Beatles song? <coughs> well, singing or, or saying it, and it saying it really. <clears throat> you can describe it any way you like. He was there, wasn't he, doing something. So what did he do? What year was this? 65. Oh, a hard day's night. It was a hard day's It's night. been a hard day's night. <laughs> I thought it could have been... Um, to be uh, honest, he did another one. And it was another one, it and was. it's at the back of my mind, and I can't remember. Um, could we look uh, it up? She Loves You, that's what it was. She, oh, she Loves You. She did that in... Uh, he did that in uh, sort of Hitler style. Did really. he? He did, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he did. Well, okay. If you I'll like. play it for you, in if a, you in like, a, when, the, when the microphone goes off. <laughs> um, and, and there he was gone. So there was Mark doing the quiz. Uh, you're still listening to Beetle Places with Mark and Colt, and we'll do another quiz the next time around. Hi, still got no biscuits, Colt. Oh, What's going on here? Have a word with your butler, will you? <sighs> I don't know this place. Jeeves! This is the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Colt. Please keep your hands inside the vehicle at all times.
Was that a jingle I heard then? It was not a great one, one of our better ones. Oh, super. Yeah, but it could be funnier, people tell me. You're listening to Beetle Places with Mark and Col. Hello. Good evening. Off you go. Right, one more feature to do tonight, and then we'll call it a night or a day. Friday, how about we'll Friday? Call it, yeah, call it Friday. Yes. Uh, C4, C4, cartoons. C for cartoons, because the Beatles made cartoons. They, they did a bit of everything when you look around and see it. And they did, they did some cartoons. I wouldn't say they were in the cartoons. Um, and we're not talking Yellow Submarine here. We're talking about the time when King Features, the syndicate that made TV shows with little silly character cartoons, uh-huh. uh, launched a bunch of uh, syndicated shows featuring the Beatles themselves uh, as characters, cartoon characters. November 64 is as quick as that. 63, no one had heard of them. 64, there was a whole distribution of TV cartoons featuring the Beatles. There was all kinds of merchandise out there, but the Beatles were sort of um, written into the show um, in the the sort of um, uh, guise of the Hard Day's Night characters that they were at the time. And a, t- a local London Soho uh, animation studio called TVC was in charge, and they made 26 of these cartoons. And uh, because there was such demand and so many had to be made, these were sent out to various animation studios in places like Australia and Canada. Uh, and originally it was hoped that the Beatles themselves would do dialogue and whatever, but that's practically Uh impossible Mm. so instead you won't believe this uh, the voices were given to two people one was Paul Freeze who's an American guy and he tackled John and George and the other two voices Ringo and Paul were handed over to Lance Percival well known British comedian guy Mm -hmm. from London nothing to do with Liverpool neither is Paul Freeze so the accents were like about a bazillion miles away from reality like Dick Van Dyke's Cockney accent let's not go there Oh, well. So, anyway, they persevered, did the shows, and uh, they were just in that style. But they, they, they were described, and uh, the an- animation advice that was given out to the studios was, make the Beatles look like this. So John's uh, characters were, he pulls funny faces, especially when he's given orders. He makes slightly queer showbiz gestures that can be used in long shot. Gives the feeling that John doesn't want to take his job too seriously as a leader. Paul, however, is more poised and stylish. He always looks straight at whoever's talking to him, and he's the one who gets excited whenever John says anything. Whereas George, you can picture the picture cartoon of George here, never looks at anyone he's talking to. <laughs> he, he nearly always gives the impression of frowning, and he leans always leans against something, and his shoulders are hunched, his hands are always in his pockets, and his legs are crossed. That's, that's a hell of a way to cross a zebra crossing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Poor Ringo, however, looks a bit disjointed. <laughs> <laughs> Makes him look like he uh, belongs to hospital or something. Oh, he's got his thumbs up in the air. Whether walking or standing, uh, he keeps his upper lip protruding, he keeps his hair uh, uh, at the back long and shaggy, he keeps his mouth in a wavy line, and when Ringo laughs, he makes a funny remark and squints. Well, there you go. Poor the, lad. Yeah, the plot lines are a little bit weird because they're a little bit sort of, uh, ooh, stereotypical and let's just say a bit xenophobic. Aye. Yeah, a little bit sort of uh, shouldn't have said that, mm. but he did. And of its time, let's just say of its time. Of its time, of like its a lot time. of things. Bloody hell, yeah, mm. including my swearing. So uh, John Lennon didn't think that much of him, and he said, I don't want to be like the bloody Flintstones, and uh, he never kind of appreciated it. It was never really shown in Britain. I did, We did see <laughs> it, I did see him, and uh, you can catch him on the internet, certainly, but... Um, 
they were never really around at the time and never shown in the 60s in no. Britain and rarely shown in the 70s. It shouldn't have been shown at all, probably. And the, the, the whole <laughs> ironic thing is the Beatles own the rights to them now. Oh, well. So that'll be the next thing we get in stereo, uh, done with AI in dynamic stereo yeah. with Atmos and everything Technicolor else. Technicolor and uh, Atmos and everything else. And that's jazz. There, there you go. Trad, man. Anyway. I think it's time to uh, give our show the old heave-ho. Yep. I'll heave. You ho. And um, <laughs> I'll get me kex on. Sorry, I wasn't get... insulting you there. I just said it yeah. in the way to... I'll get me kex on and go home. Oh, yeah. Well, you're better because it's a bit drafty out there. It is, yeah. So, we, um, shall we say thank you to everyone for listening? Yeah, very good. Thank you for listening and giving up all your uh, time for listening to this yeah, load of All that cobblers. valuable knitting time. Uh, what, think you could have been staring at a wall or watching some grass grow. <laughs> Instead, you've listened to this load of old rubbish. Paint drying for beginners was presented by Mark and Col. And uh, the oh. programme's called Beetle Places. Yeah, it's a proper podcast, a real genuine podcast. We welcome you Amazingly. next time around. We'll have quizzes next time. We're going to cover Beatles with an A letter. It'll be probably He's forgotten Letter D. D for duck. D for doubtful. Yes. And uh, we'll be we'll be here doing all all the D's that matter in Beetle world for all you Beetle fans. So uh, appreciate your company if you come and join us. That would be lovely. Ah, so I just like to say good evening. Ta-da. Is that it? Uh, better be. I've run out of things to say. Uh, turn it off then. Turn it off then. Uh, the red light's off. Um, yeah. Uh, all right. It's off. Thanks for listening to the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Col. We hope to see you again real soon and don't forget to visit the gift shop on the way out.